Previously on Story Jazz, Ghost Hunters. Are we just gonna leave Nelson here? You're gonna eat this as much as you possibly can. And she locks Nelson Cameroon inside. Graham, you hold this side of the ship's wheel, I'll hold the other, and we'll steer this boat together. Can I, can I kiss you? And she says, I'm not sure that would be appropriate. (laughs) You give me no other choice. It's time for me to perform my true ritual. Hey, what the hell do you think you're doing? Get out of that fog, it's not safe. You're already past the barrier, get inside. Was that Terrence? And he, he looks at Titus. Titus nods gravely and says, Yes, not just him. Aha! Perfect. And then we all hear a gentle bubbling sound. Oh no, says Harriet. And then finally Graham makes contact with a stiff hand and grabs it. But this actually is the hand of Terence Horsley. I'll get her, I'll get her, says Spencer, and starts pulling and inside. And Titus screams from the back of the room, Hey, 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 no, wait, wait, what what the fuck do you think you're doing? But it's too late. If we can't have Lonely Street, no one can. Terrific sound. Um, me launching mucus out of my lungs? Ah. Oh, I, I didn't see you there, listeners. Hello. Oh my god, we're already starting? <laughs> you can't do that to me. Now I now I have to put my, my ugly cough into the show because otherwise it won't make any sense. I've done this to you to once people. again. Haha, for the sake of comedy. W- wow, I- I'm rolling. I'm ruffling right now. Well, w- welcome welcome to our raffle listeners. Uh, welcome back to Story Jazz, an improvised narrative podcast. Welcome back. With uh, your hosts, Softy and... Sam. I um I'm really excited. Today is fin finale, finally, finally, finale day. It is. It is. We said this last time, but we did. We did. I think we should. We should get there this time. Then let's get right to it. I think let's not dilly dally too much. We have a couple of announcements which you'll probably get during the ad break. Yeah. Um. So stay tuned. But otherwise, let's get back to story jazz. Where do we start? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Do you have a clear scene in mind? Um, we have kind of all of our characters together. In one place, yeah. But I'd like to start with a flashback, if you'll indulge me. Oh. Do you want to go all the way to the past, to to the days when Lonely Street was still populated? I, I do, actually. Ah, wonderful. The scene opens on another glass of lemonade. Actually, four glasses of lemonade on a semi-translucent glass table with a little parasol, and we see the Horsley family. Young Titus and Terence, young Rosalind and Raphael, all sitting at a little translucent glass table on their back porch, looking out into the lovely, main, mountainy, islandy, naturey landscape behind them. And into the yards of their wonderful neighbors. The other folks living on the not-so-aptly-named Lonely Street. I, For some reason, I always see them barbecuing, because barbecuing is this image of... Uh, classic Americana. Idyllic neighborhood life. Yeah. Yes. But let's say they're... Um, 
Let's say they're actually... Oh god, all the other images in my mind are like trampolining, <laughs> above ground pools. Love it, love it. Above ground pools, trampolines, barbecues. It's a lovely, wonderful spring break day. Mm. All of the kids are off school and everybody's just enjoying what what's, what's a lovely day in Maine. So like 16 degrees Celsius? All oh, right. It's not that cold in Maine. <laughs> Sometimes. I guess I'll take Terrence. You want to take Titus? I'll take... Sure. I'll take uh, Rosalind. How do I do Titus's... How do I do Titus's kid just, voice? Just... just um, uh, uh, <laughs> hey. Terrence, did you drink... Did you drink my lemonade? What? No. No, I didn't. I didn't drink your lemonade. I didn't. Yes, you did. It was full when I went to the bathroom, and now it's only three quarters. Now it's a quarter empty. I did. I didn't drink it. Uh, uh, Mom, Dad, you, you saw me. I, I didn't drink it. I didn't drink it. You wouldn't it. be this nervous about it if you weren't guilty, so. I'm establishing I'll just character take this as... that I'm just a nervous kid. <laughs> I'll just take this as proof. Um. <laughs> Mom, Dad, I think we should talk about uh, whether Terrence um, should be trusted with with lemonade. Um, whether whether he can stay a part of this family if he continues this criminal behavior. And the parents smile. And Titus um, <laughs> jokingly punches Terrence in the arm a little too hard. Uh, <laughs> the family is happy, but something. Something lurks underneath. All right, we, we need to figure out what this is, right? This is the big yeah, driving yeah, yeah. plot. Like, what is the what is the divide? What is the what is what is the divide? What is the tragedy that that split Lonely Street? Um, did they drive everybody out? We joked at some point that it was just the terribleness of Rosalind's cough <laughs> that drove people away. But there's got to be something more. There were there was conflict in the family itself. Do we with- want to blame it? Is it is it is it a Raphael Horsley thing? I think it is. I think it's also in some way at least tangentially spectral. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um All right, so why don't you just why don't we just follow Raphael? Raphael's a character we don't know, right? So why don't you take Raphael um and say like oh, I have to go to work or something and then we'll we'll start figuring out what Raphael's been up to in those younger days, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. Honeys, honeys. <laughs> says Rosalind Horsley. Please come, calm down. It's so lovely today. Can't you just let your mother enjoy this weather in peace without constantly fighting? Suddenly, Raphael jumps up from his seat and uh, looks across the yard over the fence in a weird way. Very nervous all of a sudden. Is everything all right? I'm sorry, I forgot. I need to... um... I need to tend to some business. Yeah, I um <clears throat> that that makes sense. I guess. Oh, uh, all right, are you are you still He's very distracted. <laughs> and um you're going to be home for dinner, right? Yes, yeah. Uh yeah. It's uh, going to be a catfish casserole. I was expe- I, I knew it was going to be some sort of maritime. All right. Um <laughs> and he hastily runs off to the gate leading out of the backyard. Bye, Daddy. And doesn't turn around when his kids call after him. Even like leaving his usual like business attire and and briefcase behind. S- somehow this feels like it's set in the fifties right now. Yeah, I know. I love it. It's weird. Maybe maybe this place is just sort of still stuck in the fifties. I mean, it's Maine. <laughs>
Okay. I know nothing about me. I know, I know. That's what's so funny about this. I love just putting you in these weird situations where you're trying to invent what a place is like after never having been there. <laughs> Why does Daddy have to work so much? Asks little Terrence. Oh, I'm, I'm Rosalind. Oops. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, honey. He just, he loves you. He loves us so much. He... He wants to work so that we'll have a better life, so that you can go to college, so you can study uh, physical therapy or anything you want. <laughs> but physical therapy is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, says Titus. Plus, somebody's got to put the lemonade <laughs> on the table. <laughs> Actually, I think it's mom who does that. Physically? Annoyed by his little brother's constant uh, know-it-all attitude, Titus puts Terrence in a headlock, but then releases him. All right, kids, no more no more fighting. Why don't you guys go and, and go go play at the neighbor's pool? I look at them. They're having, they're having a great time. Go play in the pool. You, you know, give your mother a time for a cigarette. Enjoy suburbia while it lasts. So, um, Raphael Horsley has basically just rounded the hedge and is now talking to a group of neighbors who had glanced to him over the fence. It's the neighborhood watch. It's the fellow parents, the sort of men, women, and others of the neighborhood who are concerned because there have been happenings on Lonely Street. I, I just don't think it's reason enough, Raphael says, to give up our entire project here. Uh, this is this is a, a very lucrative piece of land, and it's only going to get better in the coming years. Uh, a stout woman retorts, "We can't, we can't survive. Though the project is finished, if this if this is really happening, the project is over. There's there's no chance the the land is going to plummet in value, and and soon, Lonely Street really really will have its name." Raphael looks at her with skepticism and says, "Well, okay." Tell me again, what exactly is it that people think they've been seeing? They all turn to look at a uh, lanky, um, emaciated man in the back. Um, and he, he steps forward. He says, it's, it's a ghost of some kind. I, I saw it clear as day, and yet my memory of it is as indescribable as the moment I saw it. It flitted through the trees, through the fences through my above-ground swimming pool and through my dog, and, <laughs> well, you've seen my dog. <laughs> Raphael nods, trying to look like he's taking the man seriously, rubs his forehead. The woman, the woman says something, the woman cuts in again. You, you, others have seen it too, you know? It, it's not just him. It, it, we don't have a way of getting rid of this sort of uh, spectral presence. And... You know, when you brought us all in to buy these plots of land on this island, promised us a regular ferry so our kids could get to school, you said this would be a, a heaven or a haven. I don't remember. You said it would be... Haven, haven. I said haven. You said it would be paradise. And and I'll give you that. It's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But we can't survive here. Not if there's a ghost. Internally, Raphael is seething. But externally, he keeps his cool. Um... Look, my family has been in the property business for generations, and I, I really don't mean to, to be disrespectful here, but we've seen this idea of haunting 
uh, many times. You might even say it's haunted us in this line of work. And over the years, there has been a very clear two-step solution to these so-called hauntings. Step number one, call a competent and effective exterminator who will exterminate any supposed spectral presence from the premises, should those presences even exist. Um, no offense to those of you who do believe in these things, but we've often found that they don't. And that leads me to the second step, which is find a way to exterminate the belief in such hauntings from the minds of those who are meant to live on the property. And so you're saying you're saying this is mostly just a publicity stunt, the stout woman says. You're saying we're just we're doing this so that other buyers in the market will see that this land is valuable and the ghost stories are just uh, uh, puffery. No, I think whether or not the ghosts are real doesn't really matter, but we need to banish any spectral presence, be it fictional or not, from this place. And if there are people here who insist, and with this word he makes eye contact with the woman, and after that with the emaciated man, who insist that there are some sort of otherworldly creatures haunting this place, then, you know, the next step might just be to banish those people. The crowd, the crowd, the, the, the neighborhood watch murmurs to themselves. They know they all have contracts with Raphael Horsley, that Raphael Horsley bought this land and leased it to them, and they are all, they're all mortgaged on it. Raphael is like the bank of Howling Cliffs. And so if they default or they lose, if they lose the ability to pay or if they want to leave, Truly, Raphael will take everything from them. So, I've always been a fair leader, if you even want to call me that. I've always been a man of the people and, and a member of this community, first and foremost. But I've, I've made the experience in the past that that means I will have to lead the charge in deciding who gets to stay. Okay, 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 says the stout woman. And then the... And the, and the the emaciated man is sort of nodding with her, already knowing what she's going to say. Let's let's start with the let's start with the um, the ghost exterminator. Do you do you know somebody? Is there somebody in the area? What uh, what what do we do? Let's let's just do that first before we do anything drastic. And uh, the whole crowd sort of nods to each other. Oh, I know just the man. <laughs> I think I know just the man for the job. I I think we could <laughs> we could hard cut here yeah. to young Harrison Bartleby, couldn't we? Uh, do we want to do? I mean, yeah, if you want, hell yeah. Hard cut to a young Harrison Bartleby standing in front of the Horsley residence, surrounded by the inhabitants of Lonely Street, and sort of scratching the back of his head as he looks around at the group. He's nervous. He has two arms. He has two arms. He's young. And he's, a, he's, a, he's young and he's nervous, and this is one of his... Early jobs. This is one of the first jobs he's on without his mother, without 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 the without the the matriarch of the of the Bartleby family, the the leader of the ghost hunters, Harriet, <laughs> Harriet the 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 third. No, 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 no. I think it's actually I think it's actually like um, uh, Hermione. No, uh, Williama. Oh wow! And so so Williama is. Uh, the the matriarch, but but Harrison Bartleby has 
older siblings who were supposed to take the mantle. Mm-hmm. But somehow between now and when Harriet is born, Harrison ends up being the one who runs the family business. Yeah. There's sort of some mystery there. But nonetheless, Harrison has always been an avid ghost lover. And he takes harsh, he takes hard the job of, well, exterminating them when they are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so he hoists his backpack a little higher and he, you know, we're we're in the 50s. So he he picks his afro a bit (laughs) and he steps up, but he knocks on the door. The whole neighborhood watch, well, watching him (laughs) knock on the Horsley residence door. And then little Terrence. Oh, Terrence open. (laughs) I mean, you can can make Rosalind open if you want. I was just thinking little Terrence. Go ahead. Terrence is good. Little Terrence opens the door. Hello, sir. No, we don't want to buy anything. And Terrence looks back. I I think we have all of our phone books. Well. Thank you. Wait, 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 wait. Yes? Is is your uh, dad in or... Your mom or somebody? My mother is making lemonade because that's all she does as a character-defining plot. <laughs> um, but I think my father is at work. But he's in his office because he works from home. Let me go find him. Right. <laughs> Great. He's a landlord, so he doesn't actually do anything. Can I Could I step inside? I. He looks over his shoulder. He doesn't like all the people staring at him. Uh, okay. And Terrence opens the door a little further. Harrison Bartleby steps inside and, and he wipes his feet on the mat to make sure not to track any mud inside from the long tandem bike ride up the hill. <laughs> and he sees little Titus looking at him, arms crossed, eyes squinting. Titus says, So do you, do you hit them with something? Like a big sword? Or do you use, do, do you use like incense sticks? I saw, I read something about incense sticks. Incense, no, no, um, well, sometimes. Incense. You got, but do you, but do you have a sword? Says young Titus. No, I don't. I don't have a sword. Maybe a like a, I don't know, like a cool axe or like how do you cut how do you cut the ghost's head off? Well, you you can use music. You can use guitars. Are you a fan of rock music? And Titus squints his eyes even squintier. Rock music. Hmm. And then he just runs off to his room. Just as the heavy footfalls of Raphael Horsley comes down the stairs. Ah, yes, <coughs> the, the man I was, I was looking for. You must be Raphael Horsley. Indeed. And he um, extends a hand to Harrison Bartleby. Mr. Bartleby, I presume. I've heard really just the greatest of things. You seem to be an up-and-coming talent in the world of ghost hunting. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best, sir. And... Um, I have, uh, well, many glowing reviews on the well-known newspaper, Ripoff Report. Um, but <laughs> Ye old Yelp. Ye old Yelp. 50s Yelp. And should anything... Out- <laughs> yeah, how did we just did we just land in like the Middle Ages? I love it. Okay. Uh, and I, I must say for your uh, comfort that my family is willing to um, provide any insurance for any mishaps that may occur, but otherwise we expect this to be a clean... One and done. From your descriptions and the descriptions of your neighbors, I expect to have this resolved uh, relatively quickly. Yes, it's, it seems there is some sort of small specter haunting the street. Um, I don't know. It, it seems to be from times before we settled here. But uh, I expect you to, I don't know, suck it up in a vacuum or something. You must have some newfangled technology that will make this go over quickly, right? 
no, no, no. Actually, um, this backpack is just is just camping supplies. I'm going to go spend a night in the woods and, and I will uh, determine the best uh, avenue to proceed from there. Oh, well, do you mind if I come with you? Uh, it's it's easier if not, but if, if you insist... I just want to make sure that it's gone by morning. Well, I... We have some uh, investors coming by tomorrow that... Um, I can't guarantee that it's going to be gone by the morning. The first step to, well, understanding spectral presence is to truly listen to it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not an exterminator, you see. I'm, I'm here to make sure the ghost gets home safely. But in so doing, you will then have your homes free of ghosts, and the ghost will have its home free of you. Okay, uh, that's that's great. That won't be necessary in this case. You you can feel feel free to just exterminate. I'll uh, come with you in in the evening then, and and we can um, we can work out what the best way to to fix this is together. No, I've actually been doing some of my own research, so I'm sure we'll we'll find a solution. And he um, claps him on the shoulder. Harris is sort of, <laughs> uh, okay, all right. All right. Uh, you want a glass of lemonade? Sure, sure. I'd love one. Thank you. And he walks him into the kitchen. We cut to the evening. Uh, wait, wait, I want to add something real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and as they settle in the kitchen, we start hearing faint rock riffs coming through Titus's <laughs> door. Um, it's like, it's like uh, this is actually probably more 80s, right? It's probably 80s hair metal. Yeah, or something. it's like 80s Metallica. Oh, it's Kiss. That's what it is. Oh, yes. Perfect. We cut to a dark forest. Ferns wet with <laughs> the, the, the day's rain and, and... Wet with the main atmosphere. Pine trees sticky with sap. It's a quiet night, save for the bugs in the air. And Harrison Bartleby and Raphael Horsley are sitting around a small campfire. They're sharing Harrison Bartleby's small tent, which is perhaps more intimate than either of them realized it would be. But mm-hmm. Raphael Horsley is determined to see this project through. You see, Raphael is in the middle of telling a story. It's not that we don't believe in ghosts as a family. It's, it's that we don't believe in them. <laughs> you know what I mean? The way that you might believe in your favorite football team or, or your your child <laughs> have faith in them we don't do that with ghosts does that make sense to you it's not so much about whether they exist or no they appear to exist in some cases and in some they don't but we just don't believe that they belong here and it's been a tradition in our family for a long time and we need to remove them from this world at any cost really well i have to say starts harrison that my family tends to operate differently. We, we pride ourselves as a family of, well, our, our success rate for, for cleansing areas of ghosts is often related to our empathy with these spectral presences themselves. Mm. And that mm. if, if, like you say, if you truly do want to live in an area where there are no ghosts, then the best way to do so is to respect ghosts and listen to where they do want to be or don't want to be and, move around them as well. Ooh, I, that all sounds very idealistic and very nice. Um, I wish it was that easy. Ghosts are truly no different than humans, animals, or plants. They're a natural part of this world. 
So just as a human can get angry and, and hurt someone they love, so too can someone become a ghost in their afterlife and hurt those they love. Mm. It's the, the, the supernatural element of it doesn't change the human element of it. Harrison sort of pontificates. <laughs> well, Raphael chuckles. I have enough grudges weighing on me. Maybe I'll find out for myself one day. But until then, um, but if you if you see me on the battlefield as a ghost one day, so to speak, feel free to just just exterminate. Use whatever you need. I don't want to live that unlife. I wouldn't want to. I don't imagine any of them do. But as Raphael looks up, he sees that Harrison isn't paying attention to him anymore. He's looking right over his shoulder at something deep, deep in the woods. And when he turns to look too, he sees a faint glowing outline walking between or walking through the trees. It looks somewhat as his neighbors have described. It looks like a mammoth. Oh my God. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Okay. Harrison gets up, eyes wide with awe, and his breath puffing in little white clouds in front of him whispers as he inches toward the creature. This is, this is incredible. I've never seen, well, I've seen spectral animals before, but I've never seen one so old. This, you understand, this, this must be 30,000 years old when the mammoths walked this land. When the ice bridges existed in the north, this must be from that time. Mm. Raphael nods. It's a shame it hasn't been able to rest. And as Harrison slowly makes his way through the trees over toward the, um, the specter that is now slipping away into the further trees, further into the trees, Raphael quietly brings out the big leather case that he brought to the camp and follows him. Harrison does his best to walk quietly, but not sneak up on this specter. Like many animals, being visible but non-threatening is a better way of interacting with them than to creep upon them unaware. He doesn't want to scare this creature, but he thinks to himself of the previous ghostly animals he's seen before. And, and why they get attached to the material realm when their souls should be moving on. Well, usually he finds it's because they have a, a human attachment still alive, like a man who loses a dog that loves him and the dog stays in his spectral form. But there's no way that this mammoth has any human relatives still alive. It may have existed before humans truly existed in the way they do now. This puzzles him. And yet he must try somehow to contact this creature and find out what is holding it here. He follows it for 100, 200 meters and keeps following it for 10, 15 more minutes. It becomes this sort of hypnotic state as he watches this enormous specter just glide through the trees, slip through the woods. Sometimes it will dissolve completely and recon congeal 
a few meters to the left or to the right as it changes its course. It doesn't seem to be just wandering. It seems to be moving toward a goal. And finally, it seems to reach that goal. The trees part and open up into a, a clearing, a large pond in the middle of it. Lying down in the pond is another spectral mammoth. But this one, this one is just a skeleton. He's also heard of this before. This is when a being, when a, when a human or anything that can form of ghost dies and it leaves behind a, a, a shadow of its existence. This is when you, you can find a, a cold spot in a haunted house that never harms anyone, but it's the residual spectral energy of something that died but still had so much to live for, but never had the true hatred or true passion or true love to keep itself willfully in existence. And so it just sits as an echo. And so this echo, this spectral, skeletal mammoth lies in the pond, dead. And the walking mammoth kneels before it and mourns its fallen family member and must have been mourning it for 30,000 years. Incredible, Harrison whispers under his breath. And as he whispers this, the mammoth turns its head just slightly toward him. Its eyes show a little bit of nervous white as it focuses on him. Harrison steps out from behind the reeds that he was <laughs> walking through. And he holds his hands up in the air, and he himself gets on his knees. And he says, Great mammoth, ancient ancestor, why are you here? How can I help you get where you're going, get you back to your family? Surely you don't want to be here without them, and surely they don't want to be there without you. And the mammoth turns toward him lowers its forehead, its tusks grazing the grass. Its trunk reaches toward him. It's, it's almost as though it's about to say something. And as the trunk, the tip of its trunk is about to touch his forehead, the boom of a shotgun rings through the forest. And the mammoth screeches as a piece of its spectral body is ripped out. It's pushed through so forcefully that there is a spinning mist that rips out of the back of the mammoth. There's no blood, there's no gore, but the mammoth itself begins to lurch left and right, like it's losing track, losing, losing its strength, it's losing its tie to the material world, and it's in terrible, terrible agony. Horror floods Harrison's face as he watches this and he looks toward the trees and he sees Raphael Horsley pumping his shotgun which at this point is it already the guitar shotgun or is that a modification that I think it's I think that's a later modification right that's the Titus modification yeah, yeah. it's just a shotgun that Titus makes yeah and he loads <clears throat> another baby blue shotgun shell filled with 
Well, what is it? Sulfuric crystals or uh, something. Yes. We've got to make it fun, right? This is, this is, our ghost hunters is always. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm totally, I'm just, I'm in such a melancholy, beautiful, dark place right now. I know, I know. Um, Filled with, okay. Filled <laughs> with, with, um. Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it here. I got it. <laughs> Bubblegum flavor. No, no, no. I, it's filled. Uh, I mean, it, it could be bubblegum if you want, but I think it's filled with, it's a confetti canister. <laughs> oh no which which Harrison knows while it doesn't seem like a horribly violent act to fire confetti that it is surprise and celebration and it's a huge burst of emotion that disrupts spectral tethers in a, in a violent way and also and also ghosts happen to be extra susceptible to paper cuts <laughs> So paper confetti is just, it just works. It's just, it's like a hack. It's like a, like a, like an error in the physics of the world. But truly it's a violent act upon ghosts. Oh yes. And so Harrison gets up on his feet and yells. No, what are you doing? Raphael, no, please, please. Blam. Pow. Raphael fires another shot and tears a hole through the elephant's flailing ear, the mammoth's flailing ear. This, the hit is not as central, as, as critical as the first one, but the mammoth trumpets and wails again as it buckles to its knees. Oh my God, that's so terrible. So like, it hurts me so much. As Raphael fumbles for another shell, Harrison leaps forward towards the mammoth. He pulls on a set of gloves that we recognize, though they're untainted by Chuck E. Cheese's Jesus pieces. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese's. And he puts a soft hand on the huge haunch of the elephant as it's struggling to stay upright. And he whispers to it. And he says, go home, ancestor, please, please go home. And Raphael calls out to him as he pumps the shotgun again. Get out of the way. I'm going to fire again, Bartleby. Get out of the way. But Harrison ignores him, and he keeps whispering. I'm going to shoot, Bartleby. I don't know what this will do to your soul. It won't do anything to your body, but it, it might mess you up good inside. Great ancestor, your family awaits. Please go home. Harrison tries to calm the beast, but at the sound of the shotgun pumping once again, it goes crazy and it it begins to stampede it begins to stampede it 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 rears up and it stomps onto the ground um pushing Harrison Bartleby aside and pushing him landing into the in the pond for a moment he loses all direction as water floods into his mouth and his nostrils and he uh uh struggles for to hold on to something to get back up but when he finally resurfaces again the mammoth is trampling away through the trees flashing back and forth as it dissolves and recongeals and and panickingly flutters off into the distance it's running limping uh bleeding out in swirls of mist it looks like this ghost is dying a second death and then before harrison can stop him Raphael fires a third shot <laughs> And we don't see if it hits the massive body of the mammoth or not. The only thing we see 
is the spectral light that illuminated the dark forest disappear. And they're plunged into the silent night again. What have you done? Raphael, M- Mr. Horsley, that's, that's no way to dispose of a, of a specter. Well, Horsley says, it's disposed of anyway. Harrison uh, shakes some of the water from the pond as he starts to step out, looking around for the skeletal mammoth that was once there, but it too has faded back into the ground. And though Harrison Bartleby has an excellent sixth sight for ghosts, he can't see it anymore. Mr. Horsley, I don't, I don't think you understand what you've done. And we cut to the neighborhood watch. It's a bright spring break day once again. And, and everybody's gathered around the Horsley residence. Raphael Horsley stands proud in front of the group. So with a little help from our ghost hunter friend here, Mr. Bartleby, um, who will receive an excellent review in this month's Yelpay magazine, <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, can say we have successfully removed all traces of spectral activity from Howling Cliffs, um, especially around Lonely Street. Uh, and he and he looks in the direction of uh, the investors that have arrived today. Um, this place is as ghost-free as any place on the planet, I can assure you. And he says this with a wink that implies a sort of, you know, ghosts aren't real anyway attitude. Harrison Bartleby is torn inside. He is putting forth a smile because he has to think not only of the ghost, but also of his family business. And if if Raphael Horsley leaves him a scathing review because he wants to, to push this matter further, it'll only hurt the family business. And though he knows that this spectral issue is not entirely resolved, he doesn't have much room to maneuver. So he smiles, and he nods, and he waves at the investors like he was paid to do. Somebody in the crowd speaks up. It's the emaciated man. No, it's the, it's the what was the woman? Stout woman. Stout. It's the stout woman from the other day. Do you want to voice her? Yeah. So we're sure this is, it's over. It's gone. Our families are, are safe. We're, we're just going to carry on. And we just, we just trust you that it's gone. And the emaciated man yells out, My dog's still seeing things. He's had this gleam in his eye ever since the specter touched him. And he's still got that gleam. How, how do I know that the creature's not still around? I don't think that's the voice you did at all, but I'll just redo it in post <laughs> if I have to. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And uh, Raphael Horsley uh, silences them with a gesture and says, As I've said before, Anyone who still has concerns about spectral activity on Lonely Street, first of all, you're expressing deep mistrust in me and my friend, Mr. Bartleby here. Uh, And second of all, if you do have these concerns, please come to me and we will see about canceling your contract and emptying your lot. All right? You can move out if you want to. There are enough people interested in this land. And so time goes on. One after another, 
the various residents of Lonely Street for good or bad reasons eventually move out and they come knocking at the Horsley residence door and they turn in their contracts, giving up on Raphael's dream of a suburban main island beautiful town. But the darker side that we don't see or that I'm telling you, but we don't see immediately, <laughs> is that when each of these families gives up on their land and gives up on the, on the cursed ground, the unhallowed ground that Raphael Horsley created, they carry a bit of the mammoth specter with them. And when eventually, wherever they move to next, be it Connecticut, Iceland, or S South Africa, <laughs> When they eventually die, their spirits are still bound to Lonely Street, and they cannot move on. We flash back one more time to Horsley and Harrison Bartleby after the job. Harrison is about to drive off in his van, and Horsley puts a wad of cash in his hand and says, Good job. Um, well done. I think I learned a lot, and... Um, I think uh, we worked uh, very effectively. You should consider adding um, some weapons to your arsenal. Harrison nods. He hardly has the stomach for small talk. Thank you, Mr. Horsley, Raphael Horsley. I... You seem worried, son. Well, perhaps I learned a lot this trip as well. Mm. Well, I hope the Bartleby family business isn't necessary here any longer and your, and your troubles are resolved. Horsley looks him deep in the eye and sees the worry around Harry's face. You don't seem convinced that this is the last we've seen of specters on Lonely Street. Well, in my line of work, it's never the last time you see a specter. But yes, I fear, I fear you might have done more harm than good, though you may not be alive to see it. Hmm. Raphael says, I can live with that. And then he nods and closes the door in Harrison's face. And Harrison says one last thing to himself. You might die with that. And he drives off. Beep, 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 oh, one second, one second, everybody. I'm getting a transmission. Let me just, let me just. Beep, beep, beep. Okay. Oh, 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 hey, this is Morse code. Beep, 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 You know how Morse code messages generally come with a little, like, a little recording of somebody saying, hey, hey everybody, this is Morse <laughs> yeah, code. Yeah, because they couldn't, <laughs> beep, oh my beep. God, because they could record the beeps and the, they could transfer beeps, but, and they could also transfer the little message, but they couldn't transfer the actual recorded message, yeah, of course. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. So that's uh, all Morse code messages before they were able to transfer audio. Start with, hey, everybody, this is Morse code <laughs> in Morse code. I want you to give me your best. Morse code voice. What does Morse code sound like if voiced? Like yes, I'm, yes. I, do you want beeps or no, no, do you no. want? Like, I want to. I want you to read me the ah, message. Ah, 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 oh my god! Okay, well, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> that's an SOS. Excellent. Created by yours truly in Morse code in in raw human voice. Raw human voice. Oh, oh, hey everyone. Sorry. Welcome to the ad break. Oh, hi. <laughs> You totally stumbled in upon us being silly, as we always are. This is the ad break where we tell you all to wash your hands, wash your butts, 
vaccinate your friends. It's really, it really has become that. It really has become the wash your hands, wash it your has, butts, and forcefully vaccinate your friends break. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or email us at storyjazzcast at gmail.com. All of those things. We love hearing from our friends, and we do we do really care what you think about our stories. Yeah, it's really nice being in touch with you guys. How are you guys doing? Tell us. Send us a, send us a Morse code message. We won't be able to read it, but, you know, it's the thought that counts. And if you do, I'll have Sam once again scream it at all of our listeners. <laughs> um, we actually do have a couple That'll of... That'll be a whole episode. <laughs> we have a couple of, of pretty important announcements here. Um, it's the finale. It's the finale. And also fina- finally some some stuff for the for the future coming up here. Um, we're we're mid July, and there's some there's some uh, developments. Yeah, some exciting stuff in our personal lives. I've got a lot of work coming up, um, which will be taking me away from story jazz for a little bit. Cue the like sound bit of an oh, audience going oh. Um, so th- there will be some <laughs> form of hiatus. Um, wherein we might, and here's the good news, have a guest host coming in? Yes, so I have been in contact with the the great improvers of, well, at least my life. Yes. And I'm hoping to to bring exciting guests for the brief hiatus in which Sam will be um, traveling and working and making wonderful films as he does. Um, but fear not, Sam will be back. Yes. It's a brief hiatus. We don't have an exact timeline yet, but you can uh, follow us on social media to see updates on that as we go. But, 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 I don't expect we will miss an episode yet. Next week, we will have a guest and do some some fun stuff. So don't, uh, don't you worry. I'm actually really excited because it'll be the first time I get to listen to an episode of Story Jazz just like as like a listener, you know? Yes. That's awesome. And uh, take this as a, as a note, any of you listeners, if you want to be a guest on Story Jazz or if you, if you want to throw some ideas at us, please email us, tag us on, on Twitter, you know, anything. We're looking for applications, apparently. Well. Basically. But yes. So fear not. Not only do Sam and I, but also our new guest will certainly love you. Yes, we shall love you. As we fade back into the present, we see a gleaming silver guitar axe slice through a spectral head. An unmistakable neighbor of Lonely Street from decades ago. But strangely, (laughs) and this is really weird, the face is just slightly distorted to be (laughs) animal-like. There's some fur, furriness to it. And it seems like the um, canine teeth are a little longer and curved forward. So for all of our listeners who have uh, <laughs> ghost furry fetishes, this, this one goes out for you. <laughs> We're making niche entertainment. And this guitar slices clean through the ghost and the ghost dissipates into mist. But then there's more faces streaming in through the windows, not full specters and not wraiths either. There's some kind of different spectral form uh, risen out of the residual energy of a specter that once lived here and that was much, much bigger and more powerful. So big that it left all of this ghostly matter behind when it left. I just realized that howling clips must be called that because they hear the ghostly trumpet of the mammoth. Yep. 
Awesome. That was planned from the beginning. Planned from the beginning. Uh, definitely. No, actually, it's more impressive that it wasn't, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Titus is slicing left and right, going, uh, Hey, can, can somebody help me with this? And as he swings the um, guitar around for a moment, it lands in his hands uh, with the shotgun pointing forward, and he blasts a shell through several ghostly bodies. Confetti shears through the window, blasting open another piece of glass and cutting down four or five ghosts at a time. And that brings back an old memory of Harriet, something her father once told her. Right, she's always been raised in a family to empathize with and love ghosts. And one of the things her father always told her was that the most brutal death of a ghost only exacerbates the ghosts that'll come. Their their matter, their their sort of spectral energy doesn't leave the earth if you just tear them apart. It gets dissipated to the point where it's as though that ghost doesn't exist anymore, but the residue can still recongeal in more vengeful, more... More malicious ways. And that's exactly what they're seeing here. Wait, Titus, Titus, please, says Harriet. You you have to stop. You have to stop. Uh, What? And she holds his arm back as he swings at the ghost nearest him, and it rears up in front of him and screeches in his face, but it doesn't attack him further. They're now swirling around this group of seven? How many how many people are in this house right now? We should we should actually say this. The, okay, let me just let me just do this in cinematics. The ghost screeches and then swirls off into the kitchen and then through the stairs, then through the ceiling and the floor. Other ghosts are pouring into the window, and as Titus is holding the axe back, restrained by Harriet, he looks around. Neighbors he remembers and neighbors he doesn't remember. Their face is contorted and ghostly and hairy, well, furry, (laughs) swirling in and up and around the group as the group tightens into a really small circle surrounded on all sides. Faisal, Titus, Spencer, Anne, Athaway, and Harriet with the semi-conscious body of Rosalind all gathered in the center. Rosalind is... is Rosalind is <laughs> waving around half-empty glasses of lemonade, trying to offer them to everybody. <laughs> Confused. But she sees them differently. Yeah. She sees them as the neighbors that she once knew and loved and is confused as to why they're here again and which such hatred. And then a step is heard. A creak of the windowsill and the crunch of glass as a booted foot steps in through the window and the familiar, if horrifying, gaunt face of Terence Horsley steps through, dragging a whimpering Graham behind him. His face is constantly contorted in a Edvard Munchian (laughs) scream. But at the same time, his teeth glisten through in a sort of grin. Raphael's mind is just way beyond now. He is, the the irony of being resurrected in this form is not lost on him. And it has sent him into a sort of insanity. Rosalind, 
Titus, my family, I told you this neighborhood would be bustling with people again. It worked. It worked. Don't you see? The neighborhood is alive. My investment, my business. Lonely Street is a success, can't you see? He's delirious. I wouldn't exactly call this alive, Dad, Titus says, and levels the shotgun at his father. (laughs) But probably his dad knows that this thing is only effective against ghosts, not against bodies, right? But Harriet steps in between the two, and she puts a hand up in front of the confetti cannon and puts a hand up in front of Raphael. A gloved hand. A gloved hand in front of Raphael. And she glances quickly at Graham and gives him a questioning thumbs up and he gives a whimpering thumbs up back, still clutched by, <laughs> still clutched by the, the firm grip of, of Terrence slash Raphael Horsley. All right, you two. This is clearly some sort of family thing, um, but things are more complicated. Uh, Mr. Horsley, the elder, the, 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 the Raphael Horsley, you're, you're, you're in your son's body right now. Yes. I'm so sad that Terrence isn't here to see my success. You would be, Titus mumbles. What is that, son? Pathetic excuse for a son? I said... No career, no job, no following of the family business or passion of your own? Titus grinds his teeth. What happened to that music career? What happened to your high school band? How did that work out for you, Titus? All of that dissolved. All of that dissolved because of you. Father, Titus growls and pumps the shotgun. Oh, you're going to blame me because you can't read music because you're a terrible guitar player (laughs) because nobody ever liked your music. Is that my fault? Pathetic. Titus tries to find a smart thing to retort, but instead he just plays a screeching riff on the guitar, sending a shockwave of displeasure through all the ghosts, including... Raphael, his father. We watch Raphael's ghostly eyes that have illuminated Terence's shiver and and lose lose their sockets before rolling back into place because of the because of the reverbing antispectral chord. You want more of that? Go on. Step closer. Kids, kids, honey, everybody calm down. Please. Calm down. There's no need to fight in the house. We're a family. We're a family, says Rosalind. And as she does so, she steps forward closer to Terence's body and Raphael's ghost. She and Harriet are now standing in between the two living Horsley men. But Rosalind still has her eyes rolled back into her head, and so nobody is quite sure what she is seeing. Nobody's quite sure what she's, what she's grasping, but her understanding of the situation is greater than anyone else's, for sure. And on realizing this, Harriet slips off her gloves and slips them on like oven mitts. 
onto Rosalind's hands, and she doesn't even notice. Honey, Rosalind says, looking at Terence. Honey, why are you fighting with our, our young son? He does have passion, and he does have dreams. You remember your first job. You were fired. You remember you were working at, at McDo- McBurgers. McBurgers. <laughs> <laughs> you were fired. You, the great Raphael, the great businessman, you were fired. Now imagine your son. He loves music. And just because it didn't work the first time around doesn't mean you give up. And just because it's not instantly popular and instantly makes him a titan of the industry like you are now doesn't mean you give up. You're his father. You should support him even if it doesn't work. Rosalind's speech has left everybody sort of speechless. They, they're left in this strange, melancholy silence as Titus and his father exchange a strange look. And funnily enough, it's Anne who steps forward in this moment and says, Um, look, I don't really know what your story is, but I think a nug might be in order. And everybody looks at her like, oh, 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 what? Oh, oh, oh. Wait, wait, no. Rosalind is completely unaware of everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Titus looks at her. Oh, oh, what? You know, an ug. A, a. Uh, Spencer, Graham, and Harriet all look at each other <laughs> in confusion. Exasperated, Anne says, uh, okay, I'm saying you two, and she points at Titus and Terence slash Raphael, should hug. And with that, with the with a forceful H, which could only come from a part of Anne that wasn't entirely her own, ah. we see again that same glimmer of spectral presence behind Anne's eyes shake for a second, shake loose just for a millisecond before being swallowed back into the back of Anne's mind. No, says Titus. No way. I'm not touching this man. I'm not not hugging my father after all he's done to me. Titus, says Rosalind. Titus, you don't have to love your father. You don't. You, you don't have to love your family. But I implore you to understand that he did love you. And he was a, he was a terrible father at the end. I'll say it. And, and Rosalind shoots a... Shoots a glassy-eyed look back at Raphael, who sort of sort of looks ashamed, almost. But he did love you. I know he did because we stayed up night after night after night talking about you. Really? The onlookers, the neighborhood, the, the mass of ghosts only semi-related to the people that once lived on Lonely Street are fixated on this conversation. They're malicious, they're violent, they're, they're, they're urged to expel the Horsley family from Lonely Street like they once felt expelled themselves, has been quieted for the moment. They're watching Raphael and Titus. And then Rosalind Horsley puts out a gloved hand and grabs a hold of Raphael's. And with that glove, a shock runs through Raphael 
A shock runs through Terence's body and spasms it open, releasing Graham, who falls to the ground and scurries behind his brother really quickly. <laughs> and then we see Rosalind effortlessly walk towards Titus, dragging the soul of Raphael Horsley out of the body of Terence. The body which now just crumples to the floor like a, like a garbage bag. And we see the illuminated, beautiful specter of Raphael Horsley walking, sort of sheepishly pulled along by his uh, diminutive wife as he's pulled up towards his son. And they really do look alike, eerily so. Titus, just give him a chance. And uh, Raphael, don't be such a twat. (laughs) And Titus bites his lip and bites back a biting comment and puts down the shotgun guitar (laughs) and spreads his arms. Fine. But before they can hug, Rosalind Horsley's grip on Raphael loosens. The white rolled back eyes at her head begin to go gray. Oh no. Like that was all the energy she had left in the world. And the moment it worked, life left her as well. And everybody watches almost in slow motion as Rosalind Horsley falls to the ground, limp. The two standing Horsley men uh, jump to her aid, trying to catch her before she falls. And Titus catches her body just as Raphael catches her soul. Oh, damn. And slowly, as Titus, tears streaming out of his eyes, trying to check for a pulse, look for any sign that she's all right, mourns. A ghostly white flicker slides out of her back and begins to rise up next to the ghostly Raphael. Wait, wait, no, this is... (laughs) No, mother. Titus looks at the soul that is ascending. And he looks back at the body and back up to the soul again. This is too fast. This is not... This was not supposed to happen. Titus, my boy. And you too, Terence. And she looks over at Anne Athaway, sending a jolt of spectral energy through her, bringing Terence to the front suddenly. I'm so proud of both of you. But you are your own people. And Titus, you were so kind for so long of staying with me in my old age. But you really must go back to your music. You really must go back to your life. You can't live for me, and I can't live forever. It's time for you to go. But maybe a hug before you do. And she smiles. And Titus gently puts down her body and wipes his cheeks and stands in front of his parents. And he doesn't know what to say, but he looks at his mom and he looks at his dad and his dad is no longer grinning deliriously. His dad is looking hurt and confused, but somehow more lucid and peaceful with his wife at his side. And 
At once, Titus tries to envelop them both in a huge hug. And it's, it feels a little hollow because he can't really grasp their spectral forms. He's holding mist in his hands, but it's got to be enough. Anne Athaway, with Terrence at the wheel, steps forward as well and puts a small, glittery, fingernail-polished hand on his brother's shoulder. Titus is confused, but accepts when he hears his brother's voice. Don't worry, brother, Terence says. You won't be alone. I'll come back home. And with that, we see the machinations happening behind the scene. Spencer is propped up Terence Horsley's body, mouth open and lifeless, and Harriet stands with a gloved hand right behind Anne Athaway, and she gives Anne a hard slap in the back of the head. Whack! And everybody watches as the ghostly form of Terence Horsley, a small, violet, streaming ball of energy, flies out of Anne's mouth in between his parents and his brother engaged in an embrace and into his own mouth, as gaunt and wretched as it may look. And then the body moves. And then Terence gulps. Dryly. And his eyes open. True Terence hoards the eyes, not the ghostly flickers we've seen in the back of Anne Hathaway, but true Terence Horsley eyes. And those eyes hold contact with Titus's and with those of Raphael and Rosalind as the two ghosts wave and smile and dissolve into mist in Titus's arms. And they drift out the window. And with them, the other denizens of Lonely Street begin to follow, one after another. For they still live on Lonely Street, just as Raphael and Rosalind do. And without the hatred, without the hatred and the, the malicious violence that Raphael was bringing, they can live peacefully as ghosts on, on the plots of land that they loved so much in their life. They drift out, leaving behind a totally devastated house. Every piece of porcelain in the room destroyed, every pane of glass and shattered. But the last of the ghosts, as it leaves, picks up one vase that didn't break as it fell to the ground and puts it back in its place <laughs> before slipping outside into the morning air. Terence Horsley gets up with some help from his brother, brushes off his knees and looks at his crumpled hands and his just emaciated form. There seems to be the slightest bit of rosiness returning to his cheeks and his scream mouth isn't quite as stiff anymore. He can actually close it. With any luck, he'll return to a somewhat human form within the next few days and weeks and months. Graham rushes over to the collapsed body of Anne Athaway as she too regains the light in her eyes, this time unclouded by Terence lurking deep within. 
Oh, Graham. Oh, God. I feel like I've been... I've been going a little bit too hard this, this spring break. Next time, can we do something a little more calm? Maybe, maybe a bit more romantic? <laughs> and she looks up at Graham. Who is still sort of staring with the shock of seeing more ghosts at once than he ever has before. <laughs> and um, swallows and says, uh, Yeah, yes, definitely. I was thinking something no- normal. Just... What do normal normal people do? Cancun, maybe? Cancun sounds... Or is that, <laughs> is that too much party? Okay, yeah. Um, and, and next time, Ariet says Anne as she starts to get up, can you just tell me if there's a ghost hunting uh, mission going on? <laughs> Instead of just pretending that there isn't the whole time, the old time. Everybody stares at Anne in total shock. You know I me, mean, mum... It's a ghost hunter, uh, back in England. I kind of know the, the, the gist of the old, old thing. I, I haven't really done it much, but me mum me told me some of it. Spooky woman. Yeah, Harriet says. You mentioned, um, sorry? Maybe, maybe Cancun would be good next time. Just a little less, a little less action. <laughs> And we cut outside the Horsley residence as the whole group files out of the house and sort of starts limping back toward their tandem bike and their the, and the car in the ditch and limping back home to get a good night's sleep. Even Faisal's being uncharacteristically quiet, hoping nobody remembers the enormous faux pas he made throughout the entire adventure. <laughs> and as they walk in the morning light down Lonely Street and back to their beds. In the distance, we hear the soft trumpet of a mammoth. Nelson Cameroon walks up sluggishly to the door of the old barnacle, having eaten an incredible amount of breakfast and feeling a little better. He's even managed to um, open the locked doors, and now he opens the main door to the foyer of the old barnacle. Hello? Hi, are you, uh, are you uh, Nelson, Nelson Cameroon? Um, yes, Nelson says. He looks down at a group of four... Four people in the most ridiculous equipment he's ever seen. There's a man with a bustling purple beard and a party hat holding opera glasses in front of his eyes and looking at Nelson through them. Yeah, you've a revenant situation, right? The man talking has um, a a snorkeling mask on and um, is holding a banjo like a (laughs) hammer. Yeah, okay. Uh, Nelson, do you want to just come with us? Who, um, who are you exactly? We're the Ghost Resters. And then the music starts. <laughs> who are you going to call? Okay, perfect. That's perfect. Whew. 